Welcome to a patient safety podcast from Crico. Crico is the patient safety and medical malpractice company owned by and serving the Harvard medical community since 1976. A 23-year-old woman at 40 weeks gestation was seen in the office by a certified nurse midwife. She had a history of headaches, pregnancy-induced hypertension, oligohydramnios, which is a deficiency of amniotic fluid, and a low-lying placenta confirmed by ultrasound. Her blood pressure was 150 over 90, and she stated that she had persistent headaches. She was sent to the hospital in the late afternoon and admitted for induction of labor. At approximately 4 the next morning, oxytocin intravenous infusion was started, and she was given pain reliever. Fetal heart rate was noted to be reassuring. At 8 a.m., the midwife and the obstetrician evaluated the patient, confirming the cervix to be 1 centimeter dilated, 50% effaced. At 2 o'clock that afternoon, she had spontaneous rupture of membranes, notable for thick meconium. Moderate contractions were occurring regularly, and the baseline fetal heart rate was in the 130s. The patient was reassessed every two to three hours by the midwife, who consistently documented a reassuring fetal heart rate. However, at 9.30 p.m. on the second day, a note in the chart referred to prolonged fetal heart decelerations that responded positively to scalp stimulation. At some point, this entry in the chart was crossed out as having been done in error. However, the change in the record did not have a date and time. During the patient's labor, the obstetrician periodically monitored her blood pressure and reviewed the fetal heart rate tracing, but this activity was not documented in the medical record. Roughly 36 hours post-admission, at 12.50 a.m., the patient was fully dilated. Fifteen minutes later, the baseline fetal heart rate decreased and was notable for decreased variability and marked decelerations. At 1.20 a.m., a female infant was delivered vaginally. The baby was limp and had poor respiratory effort. Meconium was found below the vocal cords. Apgars were 1, 5, and 7. She was taken immediately to the NICU and placed on CPAP. The baby began to experience seizures at about 4 hours of life. An MRI and EEG identified abnormalities consistent with hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. The infant was hospitalized for 8 days. Later, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. She is now legally blind, has spastic quadriparesis, severe developmental delays, and seizures. She also requires a feeding tube for nutritional support. The patient's mother sued the certified nurse midwife, alleging that she failed to recognize and treat fetal distress during labor and delivery, resulting in hypoxic brain injury. The case was sent to mediation, resulting in a settlement in the high range. To discuss the patient's safety and risk management aspects of this case, Dr. Roxanne Gardner joins us now. Dr. Gardner is Associate Medical Director for Obstetrics and Patient Safety at CRICO in the Harvard Medical System. Roxanne, thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Tom. It's great to be here. Now, the patient had a constellation of signs and symptoms. Uh, where do you think the care here started to, to take a wrong turn? Well, cases like these are never simple and straightforward, and looking at the uh, sequence of events, it comes to mind that um, there are opportunities here upstream to have made some kind of a difference. And so as I read this, there's a 23-year-old woman who's now at term, 40 weeks, uh, and she is apparently being primarily managed by a certified nurse midwife practice. And she's, however, had a history of headaches, uh, pregnancy-induced hypertension, uh, some blood pressure abnormalities um, that can happen to uh, a, a person uh, in pregnancy only and complicate that situation. And 
she also has oligohydramnios, which means that the fluid in the amniotic sac around the baby is low, lower than normal. And then she also has uh, a placenta that has uh, been uh, described as being low-lying. So given that constellation and the fact that her blood pressure when she was seen was 150 over 90 and she had headaches that was not really by Tylenol, I would have preferred to see documentation of some kind of collaborative outreach uh, with the physician colleague with whom the certified nurse midwife is practicing or a formal consultation and a, and a plan of management made uh, as that was coming about. All prenatal. All, all prenatal. So I think those were opportunities that there may have been to, to orchestrate a plan of management. Who knows if that would have made an ultimate difference in the outcome, but I think it would have really been potentially useful. Now, once the patient's in labor and delivery, um, does this sort of lack of collaboration look like a factor? It does, uh, and especially because when she finally does present to labor and delivery, when she's sent over by the midwife and received by the midwife who was on call, uh, there didn't seem to be any outreach in um, obtaining a physician consultation to develop a plan of management. Uh, there were a number of opportunities here where her condition could have clearly deteriorated, and fortunately they didn't. Uh, with her uh, blood pressure problems and her persistent headaches, she could have easily had a seizure, or her blood pressures could have easily escalated, not necessarily seized, but maybe uh, she would have had some other type of brain injury or uh, other issue develop as a result of that. So I think here I would have liked to have seen a little bit more flying ahead of the plane and, and getting some type of formal consultation with the physician to let them know that this person is here in the house and that we need uh, a, a comp, you know a, a plan of management in case one or more things go wrong. It wasn't until the next morning that the midwife brought the obstetrician in for uh, consultation and evaluation. Now, along the way, we see these issues with the fetal heart rate tracings. How can that be managed in a way that's collaborative and on top of the clinical indications that, that the, the tracings are showing? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, it's a little complex because this particular midwife who was primarily managing the patient was documenting fairly consistently that the fetal heart tracing was reassuring. However, when experts reviewed the series of tracings over time, there were clear discrepancies in how the experts interpreted this with respect to how the midwife had interpreted it. So that speaks to perhaps uh, a lack of skills, a lack of uh, fundamental knowledge on the part of the midwife. Maybe she just didn't perceive that this was really the case. Sometimes you get tunnel vision and maybe other factors related to fatigue alter your appreciation for what it is that you're actually seeing versus what you want to see. Well, it's one of the key factors in team training that mm -hmm. we've been working on in obstetrics. Exactly, exactly. It's, it also leads to some documentation issues mm -hmm. when we look at the case. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think this was a really interesting um, situation because there were clear indications that the midwife had gone back into the record and altered assessments and descriptions of what they were seeing at the time that they originally wrote the note. And 
the way in which this was done made it suspect for outright fraud and um, dishonest practice. So, you know, there are clear guidelines that CRICO offers around uh, making amendments and changing or updating information about what is clinically being appreciated at a different point in time versus when the original note was, was written. And so, you know, sometimes you can make a uh, misstep in, in what you've written, and you've written a wrong value, um, and that sort of thing you recognize right away. You can cross that out with one line and then initial it and time it so that it's clear that at the time at which you made the change, it's clearly documented. So the other interesting component to this, in looking at this case a little bit more deeply, it becomes apparent that the obstetrician who had been involved in um, co-managing the case later on as, as the patient's labor progressed, apparently was in and out of the room on several occasions and, and never wrote a note in the chart. Uh, so it's insufficient um, to rely on a nurse saying the doctor was in to see the patient. We have no insight as to what that physician was thinking, what was their idea about what their concerns about the patient's clinical course, that their rationale for going forward, for the steps that they took, had some basis, rather than having a silent record. Thank you. Roxanne Gardner, Associate Medical Director for Obstetrics and Patient Safety at CRICO. I'm Tom Ogello. This has been a patient safety podcast from CRICO. More information about CRICO and efforts at Harvard to deliver the safest healthcare in the world is available on our website at www.rmf.harvard.edu.